Good morning, church family. Glad to be here with you today. Glad we can worship God. Glad we can uh, spend time together. Uh, Today we're continuing our series on Sanctified. We've got this week and then next week and we are uh, wrapping that up. Go ahead and give you a preview of next week uh, that the angels brought good news of great joy. And we're going to consider how can we sanctify our joy? How can we find our happiness, maybe not so much in the world, but rather in holiness? So think next week about sanctifying your joy. Has already been mentioned, Brian mentioned it in his prayer. Today we're talking about suffering or struggling specifically. How can I sanctify my struggle? And you know, this year is a a great time of the year. As the, the song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But you know that for some people, this time of year right now is not a very good time of year. Some people are struggling, struggling with health, struggling with the loss of loved ones, struggling financially, struggling emotionally, struggling spiritually, whatever struggle people are experiencing. Maybe you today are struggling, and we want you to know that we see you, we recognize you, we understand that. Uh, Some people think this is a great time of year, and it is a great time of year for most of us probably, but some people are struggling. Maybe you think to the springtime when the flowers are new and when there's uh, baby animals all around and just the, the beauty and the joy of springtime. Some people think most of us would probably identify springtime as a wonderful time of year. And it is for the most part, for, for, but, but for some people, it's a time of struggle. Maybe during the summertime when you think about uh, going on vacation and summer break from school and all the, uh, the warm activities that we get to do outside during summer, maybe that's a great time of year for you, but you recognize that for some people that's a difficult time of year. Maybe you think of the fall, you think about the changing colors and the beauty of God's creation and all the wonderful things about the cooler temperatures and being able to be outdoors and those temperatures and other things that are great about fall and you recognize that's a great time of year. I really love the fall, but for some people, it's a time of struggle. It's a time of difficulty. The point is, it may be a great time for you right now, or it may be a time of struggle right now, but in a room of this many people, there are certainly many of us who are in the midst of struggle right now. Whatever that may look like, and there's all different kinds of struggle uh, in our lives. Again, physical struggle, emotional struggle, spiritual struggles, all these different kinds of things. And I want us to, to look at it, consider how can I sanctify my struggle for God? And again, to, to remind us, or if this is your first time here during this series, uh, to let your, you know where we're coming from, uh, this idea of, of sanctifying that we've uh, used as our main passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 11, that after a, a list of, of sins that people have been involved in and, and how we've come out of those things, he says, you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in Christ Jesus. And washed, probably, almost certainly referencing baptism as we're baptized into Christ and the blood of Jesus that we come in contact with there washes all of those sins away. That old self is done away with, that old way of life, those old sins that we were a part of are done away with. That's not who we are anymore. Uh, We're justified. We have been made right in the sight of God by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice and by the life that he lived that was perfect. But then we're also sanctified. It is where we are. We are sanctified. We are called out of the world, called out of darkness, and set aside for God's purpose. He wants us to be holy, and we are because we are now God's people. He is now our God, and we have committed ourselves to following Jesus, but we also recognize that sanctification is a process. It is something that is happening to us. It's something that we are doing for ourselves. We're sanctifying every part of our lives to God, even our struggle. How can we sanctify our struggles to God. 
How can we bring glory to God in the midst of the difficult things in our lives? That's what we're here to think about this morning. How can I sanctify God even not in spite of the difficulties of my life, but how can I sanctify God in the difficulties or through the difficulties of my life? I have a good friend who has uh, raised three kids now. They're all in college or older now, and he has, has told his kids this regularly. Uh, parents, you'll recognize this, I guess especially parents of teenagers, but all of us who have uh, kids of, of some, uh, some age, uh, when, a, when their child came and asked him a difficult question or a question that they didn't know the answer to or, or something that was just not, not the trivial stuff, but maybe even with those, but really some, some tough questions, one thing that he would say, and maybe in my mind I think that because I know this guy pretty well, he might have just been buying himself some time, uh, but he said this oftentimes to his kids, I'm going to let you struggle with that for a while. I'm going to let you think about that. I'm going to let you wrap your mind around that and try to understand what's going on, try to come to a conclusion yourself. And parents, isn't that a struggle sometimes? We want to make sure that our kids have the answers, but we also want them to have their own answers. We want them to to mature to the point where they come to the conclusion that they need to rather than us just telling them exactly what is right and wrong. And there's a balance there. You know, we've got young kids, so most of the time we're just telling them and hoping and praying they listen, which they haven't been doing the last couple of days. Pray for us, please. Um, But that's that's kind of what we're thinking, right? We, We want people to come to the conclusion, our children to come to the conclusion of what is right. And we want them to, at least in some ways, do that on their own, through their own effort, through their own study, through their own understanding. And, and maybe God does that to us. Maybe God looks down at us and our questions or our difficulties or the things that are going on in our lives. And, and maybe, and I think there is biblical evidence to this, that maybe sometimes while he may not say this, this is something that he can accomplish through this. Maybe he would say something like, I'm going to let you struggle with that for a while. I'm going to let you try to deal with that. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at two main passages today and, and uh, take some, uh, some encouragement, hopefully. Uh, maybe some practical things that we can apply to our struggles and see how we can sanctify our struggles to God. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black book on the back of the pew in front of you. That's a pew Bible there. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 starts on page 1014. Encourage you in whatever form or fashion you have a copy of God's Word. Let's turn to it. Don't take my word for what it says. Let's read it together. Together, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. There it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and here is who he's writing to, those who reside as exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. So right in that first verse, we, we find out some important information. He's writing this to people who are all over uh, most of the known world at this time, but he, he doesn't just, he's not just writing a letter to a lot of different people. Notice how he describes them. They reside as exiles, meaning they, they don't belong where they are, and they're scattered throughout all these different areas. Now, perhaps in some ways, because Peter is an apostle who primarily writes to the Jews, perhaps in some way he's, he's addressing Jews who have been scattered from Jerusalem to all these areas. There's probably some truth there. But we also recognize the idea that, that he later on in this book, he's talking about people who were not a people, but now are the people of God. So he's also talking to Gentiles. And, and I think if we recognize this, he, that he could write the same things 
to us, that we are supposed to live as exiles, that we don't belong here in the world anymore because we belong with God, and because we've changed our mind, we've changed our focus, we've changed who we want to live like. Verse number two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Did you notice the Godhead there in verse two? It's God's plan, the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctifying, that sounds like an important word to remember, sanctifying work of the Spirit. God is at work within you, Christian, take courage in that, to the obedience or the following of Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood, the shedding of his blood that cleanses us from all sins. Every part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is addressed here and is addressed to you and is active and working in the plan that God has for your life. Verse number three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us Christians to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why has he done that? To obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now you would say, but I'm already saved. I've already received this salvation. Absolutely. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins and you've dedicated your life to him, you are saved saved praise God but there's also a part of this salvation that you have that is yet to be revealed and that is the time that you and I get to be with God forever in heaven and we can't even hardly describe it understand it comprehend how great that's going to be verse 6 in this in this salvation that you have and in this salvation that is yet to be revealed you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved with various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 there says that we have the opportunity to prove our faith like gold is proven. You are probably familiar with the idea that the way gold is purified when they get the, the ore, the, the golden ore out of the, out of the mines, they, they, they melt it down and whatever the impurities are, they rise to the top and then they, they take all of those off so you have what? pure gold in the end and they fashion whatever they fashion out of it jewelry or whatever else they may use for that and here he says that that through these trials that you and i are experiencing that we are being purified in the same way and he even says even more than gold even more because gold is just a perishable thing but you christian you're imperishable there's a part of who you are your soul that is everlasting that will never end And through these trials, some of them maybe God allowed, perhaps all of them God allows, perhaps even some of them God brings to you, but whether they're allowed or God brings them to you, and we'll talk more about why trials come about and how they get there, whatever they are, they serve to purify you. They serve to prove your faith. Verse number eight, and though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So there it is. You you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. How in the midst of trial, how in the midst of difficulty, how in the midst of struggle can you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory? Now this morning, I know, I know there are some of you that are struggling now 
I know all of us can look back to some time in our life and remember, I have struggled with this or with that or whatever it may have been. And you may ask yourself, as I ask myself, well, how in the world in the midst of that, not, not afterwards, not after I've seen the other side of things, but right when I'm in the struggle, how can I sanctify that to glorify God? How when I'm in the midst of difficulty, can I express this joy or not express this joy because it's inexpressible and full of glory? Later on in First Peter, Peter was going to talk about suffering, and, and, and I want to make somewhat of a distinction between, a, between struggling and suffering. They're not exactly the same. They're related, and we'll talk more about that. But, but Peter uh, really emphasizes in the book of First Peter suffering as a Christian, and, and I, I, a point to, to be made throughout the New Testament, there is point after point after point after point and book after book after book after book to different people in different parts of the world and different writers that Christians will suffer. So to think that we won't suffer or to think that it's an unexpected thing when we suffer, that, that's foolish of us if we take the time to read God's word. But notice, uh, I'm just going to list off some things. I would encourage you to take the time to, to read the book of First Peter, especially if you consider yourself to be suffering right now. He talks about suffering because of unfair relationships. He talks about suffering because of difficult marriages. He talks about suffering because of unjust punishment. And then later on in the book, he says, hey, don't be surprised. And he calls it this fiery ordeal that is among you. He says, don't be surprised because you're suffering. And then you know why he says that? You and I would think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of God. I've left behind that old self. I've left behind those sinful ways. I'm not that person anymore. Why should I be suffering now? And then he says, don't be surprised at this fiery ordeal that is among you. And then he uses this example. Hey, you remember Jesus? He suffered. He was perfect. He did nothing wrong. And here, here's the point for us. Here's the, here's the logic for us. If I'm a follower of Jesus, instead of expecting not to suffer, I should expect to suffer. If Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, my Lord and Savior, suffered, then my expectation should be that I'm going to suffer. Not an acceptance even, but an expectation of it. So when we think about suffering, when we think about struggling, where do struggles come from? Let me suggest to you this morning that all struggles, whether that be suffering physically or emotionally, whether it be sickness, whether it be tragedies, temptation, self-loathing or pride, all suffering, all struggles ultimately come from sin. And biblically, I think we know that. We know that when man fell by cause of sin in the garden, that uh, mankind suffered not only spiritual death, but also physically death there. We know just a few chapters later when God destroyed the world in the flood, that, that that changed not only the earth, but it also changed mankind's relationship with creation. And all suffering, I would say all struggles come because of those two events. It comes because of the, the sins of Adam and Eve. It comes because of the sins of the world during, during Noah's days. It comes because all suffering, listen, all suffering, all struggles come because of my sin. Because it becomes because, comes because of your sin. Sin against my relationship with God, my relationship with myself, my relationship with others. Struggles, my actions, others' actions, and sometimes just the way the, the world is. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something along these lines, paraphrasing, that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, and he lets the sun shine on the wicked and the, and the good. Life happens. 
Sometimes I think that, that in everything that, that happens to us, we want an explanation. We don't want to know, maybe even we ask, why, God? And I think it goes back in many ways to, to the flood, and we can have a personal conversation about that later if you want to. But the way the world changed after the flood, the way the man's relationship with creation changed after the flood, the way sin entered the world in the garden, and my sin and your sin and the sin of other people, sometimes, sometimes life just happens. There's not always a reason, but the state of the world, the state of creation allows these things to happen. So why do struggles happen? Why do struggles come about? Because of my actions, sometimes, many times, probably. Your problems are probably mostly caused by you. My problems are mostly caused by me. Sometimes, my problems, my struggles, my suffering is caused by other people's sin, other people's decisions that they make. And sometimes struggles happen just because things happen in life. It shines, the sun shines on the good and the evil, and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But know this, in struggles, whatever they are, whatever kind they may be, whatever they happen, Satan can use those struggles, and he most certainly will. Satan will most certainly try to use whatever struggle is in your life to draw you further away from God and also know that God can use struggles in your life for his glory and for your good. Turn over to the last chapter of uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's read briefly 1 Peter chapter 5, the last part of verse 5 through verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 5, the last part of verse 5 through verse 11. It says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we just sang this song, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And here it is, casting all your anxiety or all your cares on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, or after you've struggled for a little while, or after you've gone through difficulty for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. What does Peter tell after he's talked about all these different types of suffering that Christians go through, in some ways that, that people go through? What does he say? Hey, all of these things can point you to your great, great need for God. Therefore, humble yourselves to God. Let him exalt you at the right time. You know, Peter knew a lot about suffering, knew a lot about struggles, but perhaps uh, among men, there was no one who knew more about suffering and struggles than the apostle paul turn over to ephesians chapter 6 and let's consider a passage there ephesians chapter 6 let's read verses 10 through 18 ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 if you're using that pew bible it's on page 979 Uh, ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 again this is a familiar passage to uh to many of us but i want you to we'll, we'll we'll notice the thing that's really familiar to us, and we'll make a couple comments about that, but I want us to notice what comes before that even more. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, as he's wrapping up his letter, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Christian, how are you going to make it through the difficulties of life? It's not because you're strong enough, it's because you trust enough in God's strength. Verse number 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And here's what I really want you to notice in verse 11. For our struggle 
is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, the first part of that verse is fairly simple to understand. That's what I really want us to focus on. But what's that second part talking about? Let me wrap it up simply this way. There are powers at work that want to destroy your relationship with God. There are people who want to do that. Living, breathing, walking around just like you and me, people who want to destroy your relationship with God. And then there are spiritual forces. Satan and whoever else might be on his side and however they work today. They want to destroy your relationship with God. Do I know all the intricacies of that, the ins and outs? I do not. But the Bible tells us that Satan wants to destroy your relationship with God. And I believe that. And he may have done it differently in times past and he may do it differently today. And I don't know all the answers to that. But God is at work and so is Satan. But notice the first part of that verse. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes I think we, we really get caught up in, and it's easy to do. This, the reason we get caught up in this, this idea is because it's the easiest thing to do. And the easiest thing to do is to find our enemy. I'm going to look at you because you did this to me. I'm going to look at you because you didn't do this for me. I'm going to look at you because the way you're living your life. I'm going to look at people out in the world and say, how can they be such wicked and evil people? I'm going to look at this. I'm going to, look, I'm going to find someone to displace my hate upon, my dislike upon, my struggle upon, my frustration upon, whatever it might be. But Paul, who perhaps more than any other person, maybe except for Job, but arguably even Job, has struggled and suffered more than any person we have in all of Scripture. And what conclusion does he come to? He says, flesh and blood are not my enemies. I have enemies, but even the people who do these wicked and evil things to me, they're not my enemies. It's those forces that are forcing them or they're following that have led me, led them to do these things to me. Appreciate the, the mindset that he comes to. And then we have in verse number 13, the, the passage that we're familiar with. Therefore, because there are these forces at work, whatever they look like, however they work, therefore, let us take up the full armor of God so that we'll be able to stand be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Christianity is not just an emotional religion. Christianity is not just a faith religion. Christianity is also a, a religion of reason, truth. It makes sense to us. There is argument that makes logical sense to us. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, our righteousness comes through Jesus. Notice we put the breastplate of righteousness on because it protects our heart. The righteousness that comes through Jesus is at the heart of our Christianity, our Christian religion. Verse number 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, I need to go about when I'm getting ready to leave my house, I put my shoes on because I'm getting ready to go. And the shoes of the Christian that I'm going to take with me wherever I go is the gospel of peace. I want my life to display and my words to say the gospel of peace to everyone that I meet that comes about with Jesus. Verse number 16, in addition to all having taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We're talking about struggles this morning. Those are the the arrows of the evil one. And he says the shield of faith is what's going to extinguish those things. So again, whatever your struggle is, whatever your doubt is, whatever your question is, whatever difficulty you're going through. Now listen, you may be going through those things and it, it may not be a struggle of faith for you. 
You may have lost a loved one. And it may not shake your faith. But it might. And Satan wants it to. You may have lost your job. And it may not shake your faith. But it might. And Satan wants it to. You may have lost a relationship. You may be going through some sort of difficulty. Whatever the struggle is for you. Maybe it's not a crisis of faith in your life. But Satan wants it to be. And how will it not be? What does this verse tell us? Through the shield of faith. And again, there's more to it than this. But I'm a pretty simple guy. And I love the idea that faith simply means trust. Do I trust God? With whatever Satan is throwing at me, do I trust God? Not that those bad things won't happen to me, but that God will work for his glory and my good even when those things do happen to me. Do I trust God? Verse number 17. Also receive or take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Don't forget your helmet. Don't forget your salvation. It will remind you of where you stand with God. And don't forget your most powerful weapon, really the only weapon that's described here. It's the word of God. You're able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil because you're able to fight back with the word of God because you know that it is true. You know head knowledge covering your head with the helmet that you are saved, not because of your goodness, but because of God. Praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit and to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Let me wrap it up this way. How am I going to make it through struggles? What do I need to carry with me? What do I need to remember? I need to remember the truth about Jesus. I need to remember that I have righteousness through Jesus. I need to recognize and take with me the gospel of Jesus. I need to have faith in Jesus. I need to recognize my salvation is because of Jesus. The word of God is all about Jesus. And I need to pray for all the saints of Jesus. How am I going to make it through struggle? It's not that I'm not going to experience it because you are going to experience it. You have. And if anyone, I've said this before, but it strikes me, it's impactful for me. If anyone has ever told you that as a Christian life is easy, they may have meant well, but they lied to you. Christian life is not easy. We still experience things in the world. We still experience life, both it's good and it's bad, and sometimes we even struggle more because we are Christians. How can I sanctify my struggle in Jesus? Remember what 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, that we need to cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. One last scripture as we close. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. John tells us about Jesus coming to the world and notice what it says. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him and apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. In Him, in Christ, in Jesus, in, if you're a Christian, your Lord and your Savior, in Him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness of struggle, difficulty, even the world. And the darkness did not, does not overtake it or overcome it. Now you can think about people in your life that have had struggles, that have had suffering. And you can think about people that have gone through those things and and they've been overwhelmed by it. They've been overcome by it. They've succumbed to it, however you want to put it. And you, you have probably thought, I get it. I understand. I don't know if I could go through what you've gone through. I understand 
you falling to that, if you will. There's other people in your life that uh, they've experienced difficult things. They've experienced suffering and struggles and difficulty and sickness and all of these types of things. And, and they somehow are able to, to overcome them. We would say for the Christian, they're able to come them, overcome them because of their faith in Christ. And what do they do for us? They inspire us. They, say, they make us say, man, if you're able to go through those things, maybe I can make it through my struggles too. Not easily, but maybe I can make it through my struggles too. And there, in that last verse that we read, it says that he was the, the light of men, and the likeness did not overtake it, overcome it. Some versions say did not comprehend it. My favorite verse in all the Bible, my favorite passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Jesus, the light of men, who came into the world and shone in the darkness says to his followers, I would argue says to you today, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put under a basket, but they put it on the stand so that it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. How can I sanctify even my struggles to God? In the midst of struggles, feel all that there is. Feel that emotion. Feel the sadness. Feel the despair. Feel the sense of hopelessness. But then if you're a Christian, remind yourself, no, that's not hopeless. I can still find joy. I can still find peace. And when you do, and when people recognize that, let your light shine in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This morning, I know some folks are struggling. In some way, maybe we all are. But let's make sure we keep our focus and our eyes on Jesus and recognize our hope in him. This morning, if you're struggling, God cares for you. I hope you know that. And I hope you know we care for you. And we want to help you in whatever way we can. But you've got to let us know. We're not mind readers. It would be easier sometimes maybe if we were. But I don't know everything that's going on in your life. Let us know. Let us help you however we can. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I know what your struggle is. Your struggle is sin. And I know what the cure is for that sin. It's the blood of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus Christ is a resurrected Son of God, if you'll confess Him as the Lord of your life, He already is the Lord of this world, whether people accept that or not, but will you accept him as the Lord of your life? If you'll do that, and if you'll be baptized into Christ, then you can have the forgiveness of all of your sins. That will not make it easier, but it'll completely change your position with God. You'll go from lost in a dying and dark world to saved and called out of that darkness into marvelous light. If you're not a Christian today, why not? And why not change that today? If you are a Christian today and you're struggling, and if you need our help, we want to help you however we can. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.